0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Happy Easter, church. So glad you're joining us as you're watching online, wherever you happen to be uh, listening from, whether you're new, whether this is your first time, first time in a long time to church, never been to church before at all, or whether you're part of our family here at The Well. Welcome. Happy Easter. Now, today's actually a milestone Easter, but it was a mile, it's a milestone I never wanted to celebrate. <laughs> like a year ago, just a little over a year ago, you may not be aware, but we're in a pandemic. It started just over a year ago. And I remember last March when we realized, oh, we can't hold in-person services right now. And it was the beginning of March, roughly middle. And I thought, oh, well, I hope this sorts itself out by Easter. <laughs> and I meant Easter 2020. Um, but it didn't, we weren't in person services or gathering together and the, the world wasn't the same at Easter and then mother's day and then father's day and then Canada day and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then family day and Easter again, we have lapped the holidays. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's a milestone. I didn't want to celebrate because we can't, even though some of us are gathering in person today, in person services in, in King and Vaughn It's amazing. It's great, but um, it's not the same. And we know that we're not actually going to be able to celebrate with our families the way we normally would at Easter. Um, We can't even celebrate Easter together as a family of faith like we normally would. Like you see this cross behind me. Every Easter, we have this tradition When you come in to Easter Sunday service, um, you get a flower, a beautiful flower, and you get to put it in the cross as a sign, as a symbol of new life in Christ and the resurrection. And that's all amazing. We get to do that. We don't get to do that this year. We had to do it for you. (laughs) We can't be handing out flowers. Like everything's different. And man, I, I I thought I didn't I didn't think we'd lose last Easter, never mind this one. What's going to happen next year? Um, and the truth is, we're looking out at a world that can make no promises to us about what the next week or month or year is going to be like. This year, even as we look back, um, as we've sort of lapped a year has been full of not just uh, the pandemic and all of the stuff that's gone along with that, but many other things that have, it's actually been a year of experiencing death and destruction and despair in in ways that we never had before. There's certainly many of us, uh, certainly my generation and younger. um, We've seen not only, you know, millions of people get infected by a disease um, and many, many people die because of it. Some of us have lost loved ones or people we know, but we've also seen the destructive power of racism that is present in our world, all over the world, everywhere. We've seen the destructive power of violence. We've lost things this year. We've lost trust in leaders We've lost trust in political systems or some of us feel like we've lost trust in the education system or the healthcare system. We've lost a sense of stability in those things. We've lost a sense of stability financially, maybe in our homes personally, or if not, or as well in the financial systems that hold up our economy in our country and around the world, those things have been shaken. We've lost trust, lost a sense of stability in those things. And in many ways, our world has responded in anger or despair, or judging by what you read in uh, both in the United States and in Canada from healthcare and governing bodies, that substance use and abuse of alcohol and drugs is increasing as people try to cope with a year like this. And I think it brings us to the, you might say like, Vijay, you're bumming me out on Easter, but no, stay with me here. Stay with me. It brings us to this place as we look to a year like we've had and ahead. is not just uncertainty, but man, so much death, destruction, despair. Someone made the point actually, though, that many of the things we saw in the last year were not actually new. The pandemic, the virus, of course, was new in its form But many of the things, the the racism, the violence, the the distrust in leaders and systems being broken down um, was always there under the surface, but for all kinds of reasons, it has come to the surface. It's not new though, (laughs) but it's not even a few decades or centuries old. Actually, 2000 years ago, one of the followers of Jesus, the apostle Paul around the year 53 AD said it this way. He said, creation and all of us with it Are groaning for redemption. A groaning along as saying, we need something to change. We need things to get better. A groaning. And I would say this in many ways, as a culture over the last year, we've gotten better at groaning. We've gotten better at pointing out the brokenness, the death, destruction, and decay, the stuff that's on the surface and the stuff that's under the surface, not only in people, but in systems. Yeah, we've gotten better at groaning, but it doesn't feel like we're anywhere closer to redemption. Our bodies and the earth itself is longing, groaning for redemption. This isn't new. And even though the circumstances and the details would have been different with the community of people 2000 years ago, on the very first Easter, they declared that that day was good news to those who were groaning and longing for redemption to a whole community of people, to the whole world, to the earth itself, that was groaning and longing for redemption. The earliest followers of Jesus on the very first Easter declared that it was good news. And in those days that that word good news is actually tied to the Greek word euangelion, which was really, uh, was where we get the word gospel. It was an announcement of something that had happened. That was good news for everyone that heard it. It was something you proclaimed. It was say, victory, we won. Now, before we move on, if I were to <clears throat> play a little fill in the blank game with you, and we had to put the, the, the phrase, we had to finish the sentence, good news, Da, da, da. Good news, blah, blah, blah. Good news, blank, blank, blank. What would you fill in the sentence with? Now, if you're listening in your car, or you're at home in your apartment or house, you can just yell it out. Um, <clears throat> somebody will hear you, maybe the neighbors. If you're with other people, don't yell, but you could just say, what would you fill in this blank to? Good news, da, 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 da. Maybe for some of you, it's like, good news, school is canceled, right? I know that's not some, but some of you, that'd be. maybe for some of you, good news, like vaccines for everyone. Good news, you know, I found a job. Good news, whatever it is. Good news. We can dine out again. What are the, whatever that, how you'd fill in the blank, just take a moment and finish that sentence for you. What would it mean for you? And no judgment. It can be as simple as a meal out. It could be something big. Um, how would you fill in that statement? Here's the thing. The earliest followers of Jesus, when they began to go everywhere on the very first Easter, declaring good news, they finished the sentence like this Good news, he is risen. You heard it actually just read for you by the kids in the scripture. Good news, he is risen. They declared the good news of Jesus' resurrection everywhere. Why? Well, because three days earlier, Jesus had died. As I said to you on Friday, his death was well-documented by Roman historians, by Jewish historians, and by Jesus following historians. There's lots of literature that documents the, the death of Jesus, but the earliest followers began to say, this is good news. He is risen. He is alive. Now, why was that good news? You might say, well, because their friend Jesus died, and three days later they had breakfast with him. That's good news. Yes, true. But they went, actually, it says everywhere, telling everyone, even people who weren't besties with Jesus, even people who didn't know who Jesus was, telling them Jesus' story so that they could tell them at the end of it, yes, he was crucified, and three days later he is risen, he is alive. They went everywhere. Why was that good news for them? Because he had died. You say, oh, I know, yeah, he died on a cross. No, no. But we understand why it was such good news for them when we understand what was it that actually killed Jesus. Now, if you're here in Good Friday, we talked about some of the motivations and some of the feelings and experiences under the surface that killed Jesus. But I want to think about it this way. If you look at the biographical accounts of Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see... Many things, but I want to highlight six things that that actually killed Jesus that Jesus was up against. The scriptures tell us that one of the things that killed Jesus was the religious leadership of the day. When you read the accounts of Jesus in the gospels, one of the things you will find is there is mounting opposition from and hostility from the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because they were the ones who were in charge of telling people who God was, how you're supposed to behave in order to receive God's love and grace and get close to God, and how really you're supposed to live and in an orderly fashion in all of life. Religion, in a sense, governed all of their lives. So the religious leaders were the ones who had the authority and the role to tell people who God was and to tell people how to live. But then Jesus comes along who was a quote, an untrained rabbi from nowhere that they thought was important. And he began to tell people about things about God that was different than the way they talked about God. And the people actually noticed it. They said, we've never heard teaching like this. He began to actually go against some of the rules that they had, that they were teaching that you needed to follow. He actually started saying, I'm giving you new commandments, not just the old commandments, not just the 10 commandments, not just the 630 laws that the Jewish people had to follow. Jesus starts saying, yeah, you've heard it said, but I say to you a new commandment. I give." He was basically asserting himself as having the authority to give them new laws. And the religious leaders kept saying to him, who gives you the authority? By what authority do you, you don't have the right to do this. And eventually you know what they decided? He does not have the authority to say these things. We do. We have to take him out. And so the religious leadership of the day killed Jesus, but it wasn't just the religious leadership of the day. It was the political machine of the day. See, Jesus actually, when you read his story was bounced around by both the religious leaders who in part were political leaders, the puppet King Herod who Rome had put in place as a, as a Jewish King just to, to satisfy the people and to use him to work their leadership there. And the Roman governor Pilate, they were all part of the political system. And because Jesus teaching was actually disrupting some of the political systems that were there, like he was teaching in a way that um, was breaking down what they had had built and were holding together as well-established boundaries, Separating people who were wealthy from people who were poor, separating certain ethnicities from others, separating certain kinds of social class and people and families from others. And that was how the politics worked. It was a politics of segregation and division and power. And Jesus began to teach that those with power and wealth should actually use it to bless those on the other side of the wall, to bless those that they were separated from. Jesus himself was actually um, trying to take down the walls that separated their well ordered society, and order was threatened. And neither the Jewish leaders, nor Herod, the king, nor the the Roman governor Pilate wanted anything to do with it. And so they used and abused their power to put him to death. The political establishment of the day put Jesus to death. But it was also the military might and violence of the Roman army. Jesus was crucified Now, crucifixion was reserved for certain kinds of criminals, primarily political criminals or criminals who publicly attacked the establishment of Rome. There's uh, some points even in Jewish history when there was a rebellion against the Roman occupation in, in Palestine, you know, trying to throw off the Roman rule that hundreds of people were crucified and their crosses lined the streets as the Roman emperor rode through, basically saying, this is what Rome does to anyone who challenges them. It was a public death of excruciating pain, crucifixion and a public way of saying nobody crosses Rome. And so it was the brutal military might of Rome that put Jesus to death, but it wasn't just religion and it wasn't just politics and it wasn't just military might was also public opinion. Public opinion killed Jesus. (laughs) See, Jesus was collecting many followers along the way, but he was also collecting enemies and people who opposed him. And at certain points, in fact, a very critical point in the story, the enemies of Jesus used their power, it says, to stir up the people to publicly turn against Jesus and demand the Roman governor that he be crucified. The public opinion turned against him and they crucified him. We even use that language now as, a, as a, a, you know, a metaphor for when the public turns on you. They would say they crucified him. They, he literally was put to death by public opinion. One thing we, not, we, we don't often think of is that Jesus was actually killed because of nature, or if we can just say this, his human mortality. Said another way, when Jesus got cut, he bled. He was a human being and he was subject to a human death. Crucifixion itself is a death where the body bleeds out and the person eventually suffocates because they cannot breathe anymore. Jesus literally was killed by the fact that he lost too much blood and he could not breathe anymore. The physical death, mortality killed Jesus. And lastly, the scriptures actually tell us that the powers of darkness and the evil one himself, the the powers of darkness that were unseen actually conspired with or used and manipulated the human people and the human systems to put Jesus to death. It was also spiritual darkness that killed Jesus. It was sin. Friends, these were the things that put to death the son of God. Which is why his followers declared victory when he rose from the dead. Listen to this. Because he rose from the dead, he proved that he was at once greater than all of the things that had killed him. His resurrection from death proved that he was greater than the religious systems and leaders that put him to death. Proved that he was greater than the political machine that chewed him up and spit him out to die. He was greater than the Roman, you know, the people say the greatest army ever to, to, to rule the Roman empire. He proved that he was greater than the military might of Rome. He was greater than the public opinion that turned against him and ended up killing him. He was greater than, What did I say? (laughs) He was, he was greater than um, the, the, the laws of nature that say when someone dies, they stay dead. He was greater than nature and he was greater than the powers of darkness that came against him to kill him. The resurrection of Jesus. The reason they said it's good news. He's alive is because he proved that he was greater than all of these things, which is why, they also finished the good news sentence like this. Not just good news. He is risen. Good news. He is Lord. He is Lord. In other words, he is above all of the religious leaders and the religious systems of the world. He actually has the authority to say, you don't need religion anymore. Now you have me. They kept saying to him when he was teaching this way, they kept saying to him, the religious leaders, by what authority do you do this? By what authority do you do this? What gives you the right to say these things? What gives you the right to allow people to worship you instead of quote God? They didn't realize he was saying, I'm the son of God. I am God. You know what he said? He said, destroy the temple in three days and I will raise it. And they kept saying, how could you destroy the temple? It was built over so many years. He was talking about his body. His resurrection proved to them. He said, you kill me. And in three days, I will rise again. And I will show you, I have the authority to do and say all of these things. He proved he had the authority over political systems that Jesus waves, no country's flag. He speaks at no political party convention. He does not need politics. He is above all of it. He also proved that he was stronger and greater than the greatest army and, milita- and militia history has ever known. And he also proved, I need no army to defend my throne. He was greater than religion. He was greater than politics. He was greater than military might. He, he also proved that he was greater than the, than the opinions of other people that he did not need others to validate him or make him legitimate. He proved he was more powerful than all of those things. He proved that he was actually greater than nature, that he himself in resurrecting was, had authority over the body, over all things, over nature and creation itself as he bent the laws of nature. And he proved that he was greater than all of the forces of evil and the devil himself that he has authority that in his name and his name alone even makes the devil tremble. The scriptures actually describe it like this, that when Jesus died and raised was raised to life, he, he publicly disarmed all of the powers and forces of darkness that we can't see, but who are at work in our world. That's why they didn't just say good news. He is risen. They said, good news. He is Lord, which was actually dangerous words in that culture because in that culture, in the Greco-Roman empire, the declaration that you were supposed to make was good news. Caesar is Lord. Caesar was not only the emperor, he was also God. He was also worshiped and meant to be worshiped in the empire. So when all of this ragtag group of men and women who seemed to have no formal education, many of whom were from backwater towns, started going everywhere saying, good news, Jesus is Lord. It was dangerous language because it was language of a revolution. In fact, it says in the scriptures, these people began to turn the world upside down. It was dangerous language. It was dangerous to the establishment. But hear this. It was a revolution like no other. And I want you to listen as I describe even what the results of this revolution that Jesus started, Jesus, the revolutionary that began with his resurrection and that his followers began to declare everywhere. He is risen. He is Lord. Do you know what, do you know what the results of his revolution were? Nonviolence. It was a revolution like no other. All that that world knew of revolutions was one army has to come up and try to attack the other one. And in fact, nothing's changed, right? We still see and believe in through all history so much bloodshed in the name of revolution. Jesus revolution was a revolution of peace of nonviolence. The results of Jesus revolution were also reconciliation. When Jesus revolution began to spread, people began to reconcile. Husbands and wives, families forgiveness, grace, people coming back together, even nations. The the revolution of Jesus brings reconciliation. Also, wherever the revolution of Jesus went, the poor and the weak and the marginalized and the sick were cared for, right? It wasn't a revolution that was so uh, aggressive and so violent that in the end, all of the people who were weak and poor and sick got trampled by a new military, by a new movement. No, everywhere that Jesus revolution went, the poor and the sick and the needy and the marginalized were cared for. Not only that, the Jesus revolution elevated the status of women and children to be equal with men. The Jesus revolution brought equality for women and children wherever it went. (laughs) The Jesus revolution also brought physical healing. The disciples went everywhere, not only declaring he is risen, he is Lord, but because he's Lord, even over nature, they pronounced healing in his name and people received healing because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the revolution of Jesus. And they also received freedom from evil spirits. Friends, this is the results of the revolution of Jesus. Peace and nonviolence, reconciliation, reconciliation, Um, care for the poor and the weak and the marginalized people who were from separate social classes and separate families, actually calling each other brother and sister, women and children being elevated and lifted up to have equality with everyone else in society, people receiving physical healing and spiritual freedom friends. This is the results of the Jesus revolution. That's why they said it's good news. It's good news. But it's not just good news 2,000 years ago. It didn't just happen that once. It's actually still good news today. It is good news for us, for you and I, who are a people, in a sense, groaning and longing for good news, groaning and longing for redemption. We and everyone with us, the whole world and the whole earth, groaning and longing for redemption. It is still good news for us today, even on this Easter. Why? (laughs) Well, I want to answer that question, land the plane just in a few minutes. But before we do the band is going to lead us in a song that's called Living Hope. It is a a song that rehearses the fact that because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive in him as well.
1: How great the chasm Soar through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine so great a mercy What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Thank you, Lord. The cross. The cross has spoken, yes, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, please the one who set me free. Hallelujah. lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe the silence, the roaring lion, declare the grave, has no turning on me. Then came the morning, watcher, church, and sealed the promise
0: On one level, as I explained to you, the results of the Jesus revolution of peace, of, um, reconciliation between people of the poor and the weak and the marginalized and the sick being cared for of, of people um, calling each other family and acting like family of unity across races and across social classes of um, women and children being lifted up and elevated to equal status, equal members of society as healing in our bodies, freedom from evil spirits. You might say, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, that is what the world needs without any political party, without any backing. Jesus didn't need any, any political party to do it any government funding to do it. Yes, we need that. You might say, well, great. It happened 2000 years ago. Why, did, why isn't it? Why isn't that just taken over the world? Why isn't that the way the world is now? Well, if I can be honest, because not everyone wants the revolution of Jesus. And by everyone, I mean you and me. We have to be honest with ourselves. The revolution that Jesus brings in turning the world upside down is not something we always want because the revolution of Jesus is both appealing and repelling. It's both appealing and repelling. There's some aspects of Jesus' revolution that we go, thumbs up, Jesus. Do you have my vote? Yep, I'll retweet that. I'm all over that. And other aspects of Jesus' revolution that we say, uh, no, thank you. What? That we even find offensive that we say, no, what? No. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't want that. We have that response, every one of us, not even just as individuals. Um, Timothy Keller noted uh, that, that actually, even as, as countries and nations, we respond to the Jesus revolution, both with things, things that we find appealing and also repelling or beautiful or offensive. He said, for example, if you take Jesus teaching on turning the other cheek and not returning violence with violence in a North American Western context, we say, oh yeah, Jesus, that is good. Like that, we need to preach that. Let's teach our kids that. But if you listen to Jesus teaching on sexuality and his sexual ethic, we're saying, no, no, we're not teaching our kids that. No, that's offensive. That's repressive. That's wrong. He said, but if you go to say another part of the world and honor shame culture, like um, my country of origin, my parents' country of origin in the Southeast Asia or in an honor-shame culture in the Middle East, Jesus teaching on the sexual ethic, for the most part, people would say, oh yeah, no, that's good. We should follow that. That's something to teach your kids. But they would not think that turn the other cheek if you've been dishonored is a good thing, or an honorable thing. You say, no, if you've been publicly shamed or your family's been publicly shamed, you have to get that honor back. That's not good teaching to turn the other cheek. That's offensive. (laughs) Right? This is his point. Jesus' revolution, his way of life, turning the world upside down. There's some things we go, yeah, yeah, turn that upside down, knock that over, let's change that. Other things we go, wait, don't touch that, Jesus. Don't turn that upside down. I don't like being upside down about that. That's the reason the Jesus' revolution isn't fully the way it is meant to be. Is because there's parts of it we like and parts of it we don't want at all. But friends, I don't know about you, but I long for a kind of revolution that brings peace and reconciliation and help for the poor and the weak and the marginalized and bringing people together and creating a new family across lines of race and social class. I long for a place where women and men and children are all treated as equals. Along for a world where we see physical healing and spiritual freedom. If we want the results of the revolution, we have to be willing to let Jesus turn some things upside down. And so I want to invite you over the next two months as we enter a series where we invite Jesus, the revolutionary to bring his ways to us where we experience how just three years of his life literally turned the world upside down and is still doing so today. If we will let the revolution take over for some of you, that just means just come back next week, come back next Sunday, stay with us these next uh, two months as we travel through the revolutionary way and teaching and life of Jesus and let it begin to turn some things upside down in our lives. Many of you are in home groups and I'd just be encouraging you to lean into your home groups in this season to dialogue about this. What does this mean for us? And be honest about the things that we love and the things that we find. That's really difficult. You might even hear me say some things that Jesus said that you say, what? He said that. I don't know if I like that. Don't check out. Don't leave. (laughs) We all find it universally appealing and repelling at the same time, but it is a revolution that we so desperately need. And so if you're not part of our home group, this is a perfect time to jump in. They start next week. But I invite you to take this journey and to allow Jesus to begin to teach us his way of living and thinking and relating to God and each other and the world around us. Now, as we end here on Easter Sunday, you know, um, the earliest followers of Jesus said that the resurrection of Jesus was good news. Also, because it meant that we too, his followers would have a bodily resurrection one day, a new body. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that. One day, a new body that will never fade, never die, never get sick, never rust, never break down, never get injured. (laughs) But the scriptures actually also say that the resurrection life of Christ has already begun to make us alive. And so I want to pronounce some statements of resurrection life over you today. Blessings, if you will. Maybe this is totally new for you. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you're like, yeah, I know it, but I need the resurrection life again to bring me to life again, to change my way of even seeing how this next week or this next year is going to go. And so I'm just going to read them one at a time over you. And I'm going to trust that that's for you. Maybe where you're sitting and we're listening, you go, yeah, that's for me. I want that. I need that. And so hear this for you. For those of you that have been living under the power of religion, where you are weighed down by guilt or shame because you feel you don't measure up. In Jesus name, I bless you with freedom and joy in your life with God. For those of you that have been anxious or fearful or obsessed with political power and the decisions that leaders are making or not making, I bless you with peace that comes from knowing that Jesus is your Lord and that you live under his rule. For those of you that have been controlled by public opinion, riding the highs and lows of what others think of you in Jesus name, you are free to live as a child of God, fully loved and accepted by your father in heaven. For those of you that have been living under the fear of nature, under the fear of viruses or health issues, may you experience healing in Jesus name from the one who is Lord over nature and peace knowing that while you follow guidelines and good advice from your doctor, your hope is in Jesus. And finally, for those of you that have lived in fear of evil, the evil you can see and the evil you can't see, I bless you with an experience of the overwhelming power of Jesus Christ and a boldness to live in and pray with that power. May you receive those things for you today from our Lord who is risen, our Lord who is Lord, our Lord who is alive. And let's end our Easter celebrations by singing a song together about him making us alive.
1: I was buried shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you. And I was breathing but not alive All my failures All my failures I've tried to hide it was my turn till I met you. Cause when you So now your freedom, now your freedom is all that I know The old man do, Jesus went our story, church. Let's sing it together. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. Chains break at the weight of your